so far you, you were, it was a be- bedroom setup? כן, טוטלי. לא, לא, זה הפרונט. זה הפרונט? כן, זה הפרונט. תראה לי. אה, תראה לי. אה, תראה לי. אה, תראה לי. אה, תראה לי. בובי, אתה רוצה ויקיישן? שתי ויקיישן מהמקום? כן, זה הכל שאני רוצה, זה Today is, which day is it? 24th, mm-hmm. Tuesday, what's happened? I, I, I don't know. I, uh, yesterday I've been in this uh, lovely bar in Tel Aviv called Mozambique. Named after? After uh, a Bob Dylan song. Mozambique, right. Of yes. the Desire uh, album. I, I really en- enjoy the um, Tel Aviv atmosphere right now. Something very... How do you call, tell me this one? Sombre? Somber? Somber. Yeah, it, it's somber. Uh, I heard that the, that the French president was here. True. Uh, je parle pas français. <laughs> uh, have fun, this update guys. is Boucha. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that Mozambique gained independence from Portugal. Anyone want to guess what year? 1959. 1975. Mm. Yep. Fun fact. Fun fact for all the decolonialist, uh, you know, academic experts out there. Uh-huh. Yep, that's it. I'll take control. I'll take the reins. Thank you, Dor Comet, for the uh, embarrassing update. Uh, not up to par, I think, with the level of content that I have been uh, producing recently. Amy? I, I have to agree. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to meet you. It's the first time we see each other face to face. I'm happy to meet you, too. I mean, obviously not under these circumstances. But, but things are happening. Things are happening. I, you're doing a great job. I think the podcast is fucking awesome. I'm sending it to a lot of people. I think there's nothing like it out there. And what both of you guys are doing is really, really special. I'm really proud to be a part of it. And I'm proud to, you know, to put Shema, our podcast company's name on it. And the graphics are nice. Everything is, is good. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It means a lot. What kind of reactions have you been getting like since you, you put it out? That's a great question. Um, I want to know. Some people are reaching out from all corners of the globe to say, oh my God, give, give us more. Mm-hmm. I've, I just ate everything in one in, sitting, they binge standing. It. They binged it. One person wrote to me that she's now listening to it for the second time through. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Um, some people have been writing that it's giving them A lot of strength and support and that they're blown away that we here living under the air raid sirens and through this reality mm-hmm. are in a position to be empowering them and giving them courage to speak up and speak differently about the issues. And it's just that is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Support matters so much. Yes. On the other side of the spectrum, mm. you know, there's like a lack of support or neutrality, whatever. But then there's also people... very close from my nuclear family shout out to two of my brothers okay you know how you hate what you are you can only see what you want to see I think they're just dead bent on no matter what 
I'll put out there, mm. they'll take a shit on it. So I've heard from one of them that this is basically the most dangerous thing out there. And then another one was really pissed off by some of the Larry David style humor um, mm -hmm. in episode 12, the story of the American Jewish man who came with gifts from the congregation. And I resent the accusation that we are not taking this seriously. That, that's what they're saying. You're making light of this. You're, you're having too much fun, too much humor. There's, there's, and they're in the States right now? Yes, and that we're not being grateful enough for the support. I just want to make it clear. We are extremely grateful for the support I coming agree. from Jewish and non-Jewish allies in the form of money, words, public uh, stances. It's crazy. I, yeah. I cannot believe I'm in a position that I have to... After I, I did not sleep around the clock the first two weeks myself trying to fundraise yeah. um, through my, you know, book of contacts and my network, that I'm in a position where I have to defend my moral compass. But here we are. Guys, light, one, number one, lighten up. Number two, uh, be a little empathetic. We're in this shit, Okay. If we need a break and we need to have some fun and tell some silly stories, let us have that. Uh, please, thank you, okay? And lighten up. Your, your sister is doing a great job. Uh, I hope you, if you can't appreciate it right now, I hope you'll appreciate it in, a, in the longer run. Amy, can I ask you the, what year you were, you were born in? I was born in December of 1985, the year of the ox. Okay. If anyone's into, you know, Chinese, Chinese zodiac. Yeah. Where, 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 where were you born? I was born in Queens, New York, in a hospital called Franklin General. Okay. <laughs> so you're born in the mid 80s. That makes you a teenager in the late 90s. Teenager in New York? Like, wh wh where were you in high school, junior high school? Oh, that's a great question. Um, at the beginning of sixth grade, we moved from Queens mm -hmm. to South Florida. Oh! Quite a change. Uh-huh. I would say it was a seismic shift <laughs> in a 10-year-old tomboy's life. Okay. Um, where were you during Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney, Justin, that whole era? I was in Boca Raton, Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you Eating it up with a spoon. Yes. I loved Total Request Live on uh -huh. MTV. Carson Daly. Oh, yeah. And um, playing video games on the Super Nintendo. And then, obviously, the N64 when we transitioned into that. Okay. I was a huge, like, um, tomboy, but also into ballet and swimming and, like, lots of, you know, things all over the place. And wow. collecting rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really changed that much. <laughs> I'm 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 looking for I'm looking for links. Uh, at, that, at that time, I'm a little bit older. I'm I'm going to be 45 soon. I was born in 1978, so my teen years were very kind of uh, grunge, Kurt Cobain, Pearl Jam, uh, mid 90s, and then over here it was Retzach Rabin, Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin so, uh, assassination which was like a seismic uh, event for, for my generation. And I don't know, it got me thinking, like this thing that happened on October 7th, named like your podcast is named, 
I don't think there's anything bigger that's happened if we try and think of like bigger perspective and like zoom out. It's hard to talk about it like two and a half weeks later, but you know, I remember in uh, 9/11, I remember Rabin uh, assassination. I remember big shit going on in the world. This might be the most dramatic uh, um, history changing uh, uh, unbelievable thing that happened to me in my in my lifetime. I didn't I don't know. <sighs> I'm, I'm trying to to think of what our life is gonna be like moving forward. That's like like of all the anxieties we have right now, I have a very real anxiety because I live in this small town and everyone is in real, real fear, like that the horrors of October 7th, like people around me think like we are in Beri. We are in Kfaraza. and like we're gonna sleep, we're gonna go to sleep tonight. And somebody's going to come in and, and cut our throats and we're going to lock ourselves in the room. And they're going to burn our house and, and, and kill our baby. Like people are living in the reality. This is happening tonight. So that's, num- that's number one anxiety. I have a number two anxiety, which might be worse about what is life going to be like moving forward? We are here. I'm not going anywhere. My brothers, some people say our cousins, the, the Arabs. For me, it's my brothers. I, I feel like we are all part of the human, right? We're all the same, right? If you've, if you've read any kind of, you know, philosophy, Eastern philosophy, we're all, we're all the same. We're all one. My brothers live next to me. They're not going anywhere either. We're going to have to live together at some point. Right now, there's so much fear and, and suspicion. People around me are saying, We're not going to buy anything from our neighbors, the Arabs. We're not going to get any workers. That's impossible. Our lives are so entangled. When people outside Israel talk about apartheid, I always say, you, you don't know what you're talking about. There, you, how can you say apartheid? Everything I do, every day, my Arab neighbors and brothers are, are with me. My, my doctor, my pharmacist, my, my, the students I teach, the, the people I, I take the train with everybody I meet, every interaction I have every day, especially where I live. It's maybe not exactly like that in the center of Tel Aviv, but where I live a little bit to the north, a little bit smaller places, we're together. And they're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. How the fuck is this going to work moving forward? Right now, all we see is murder and, and violence. So that's the number two um, anxiety. Whew. I needed to get, to get a little bit of that out. And then there's all kinds of other anxieties. Like, will I be able to, Dor and I make podcasts for a living, right? It's like this very nice to have peacetime activity and occupation. Will I be able to continue making money, working, creating, making art? Uh, or are we all just going to be soldiers from now on? The past two and a half weeks, I wasn't called up to fight, but in our town, that's all I've been doing. Guard duty, going up on a like observation, uh, just, just making sure that everyone's okay, getting a fucking gun license I never thought I would have to do. Everyone around me has been militarized. Like we are ready to, to fight and ready to defend ourselves. Is that, is that our life going to be moving forward? I thought, we, I thought we were past that. I thought we can have civilian life, you know? 
So that's three anxieties. There are more. What, what kind of anxieties are you having uh, nowadays? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm so happy you shared them. And, and it's, it's beyond. I can't even imagine being a parent right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think often about the road ahead and the road that we're going to have to pave here. And I'm really happy that, I know this is, gonna, this is a weird tangent, but okay. t- we're going to go on a little ride. I'm, I'm with you. I really hurt my shoulder and back this summer <laughs> trying to learn how to play tennis, mm. which was not something I, I was like a swimmer, no contact sports when I was younger. Anyway, really like fucked up my back and shoulder. And I had to rest a lot more this summer than I wanted to. So I decided I was going to watch the Ken Burns documentary about New York, which is 10 parts, I think, nine or 10 parts. And it's like 18 hours long. Yeah. Um, and it's something I had always wanted to watch. And my little brother reminded me about it a year ago. Which Ken Burns did you see? Like, did you see the jazz one or no, this the baseball was the New York. one? This was the New York one. But I mean, have you have you watched all, any of the... I saw the Vietnam one that I took like a few weeks. And for some reason I was... Is this the first long Ken Burns series that you're sitting down and watching? I guess I'd seen parts of Civil War when I was younger mm-hmm. because was... I also, I went from New York, then I dipped into the entire Prohibition mm. doc, and then I started Civil War <laughs> about two weeks before this started. Okay. And I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. I feel like I watched part of this as a kid. Right. So you were deep into the New York docu-series? Yeah, I finished the whole thing back in August. Is it good? It's fucking fantastic. And yeah. I'll say why it comes to mind now. Okay. Because when it starts, the very beginning, they go, this whole idea of New York as this place where like everyone just gets along and like they, this this concept that people walk around with that like everyone got to New York and from the beginning it was this like refuge for everyone and everyone just loved each other and it was just like this paradise for like everyone to just get along like Larry Levon was playing house music in the 1600s when they all got there and they were just like partying together well they're like that is not true uh-huh. and they that's how the first 10 minutes go they, mm. they're basically just like if you have that notion about New York, we're about to flip that shit on its head. Let's go for a wild ride. And boy, is the story of New York a wild ride. Yeah. All sorts of stuff you discover there. You know, like... Irish killing Protestants, Catholics, immigrants, everybody murders everybody. Crazy shit. Like, how from everything from how, like, the Brooklyn Bridge almost wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, like, how the Erie Canal was built, like in a jiffy, but also just like when the British roll in and until then it was like Dutch and then all the people living there were like, eh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna fight f- to keep this Dutch. Like if the, if the British want to come in, we're cool with that. Like all sorts of weird things, including the bit about New York on the eve of the civil war. Mm. Cause everyone thinks of New York as like a blue state, a democratic state, a state that wasn't okay with slavery. Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> On the eve of the Civil War, I think the New York State Legislature passes a thing that's like, oh, if the Civil War breaks out, we're going to side with the South. Because guess what? Their shipbuilding and port industry was heavily reliant on the slave trade. Yep. 
And all sorts of weird things about, well, how exactly did Harlem and Bed-Stuy become ghettos? Mm. What was the link between FDR's New Deal and the ghettoization of those cities? Lots of different things come to light in that documentary. Okay, bring me back to, to, to reality. Exactly. And what it did, you know, we've had a Meshuggah year. Meshuggah is okay. like an understatement for it. This has been crazy. The Even pro- before October 7th. Exactly. The, yep. the weekly protests beginning in January about the judicial, I don't want to call it a reform. I want to call it the attempted coup. And, you know, so I was really watching it from that place of this society was on the brink of civil war before this started, many mm. argued. Mm. And for me, my takeaway was, guys, we're going to get through this. Mm. We're going to get through this and we're going to make it on top because New York is one of the best cities in the world. Yes. And I'm a native New Yorker and I love the New York that I grew up in. I loved the public school I went to in Queens. I loved having black and Korean and Chinese friends. And I still believe that that change is possible. And I know that New York went through its own crazy shit where it was on the brink of like meltdown in the 20th century. You know, the Empire State Building comes up when New York's going through a really hard time. People look back, you know, with, with uh, what did they say that like hindsight is twenty twenty. Like you look mm-hmm. back and, and you see everything clearly, but when you're in it, you can't see it clearly. I remember watching like video of the, of the I think the Bronx in the 70s. It looked like Gaza. It's There were bad, places yeah. with, you know, burning buildings and junkyards and just ruin Um, crime and homelessness and uh, it, there were dark times for sure and then even 9-11 if you go to more contemporary times the fact that the city came out the other end of that and people came out strong and survived that is incredible the last episode of the doc about new york actually is about the world trade center i think that the second to last episode which was supposed to be the last episode, came out right around 9-11, like right before. Okay. And then about two years later, they added, they added that mm. episode. And the World Trade Center episode is about two to three hours long. And it really talks about what was the story behind the World Trade Center. When the World Trade Center started going up uh-huh. and when it was first built, most of the office space wasn't even leased out. It was, a, it was considered a failure hmm. and New Yorkers hated it. They thought it was hideous. They thought it was like disgusting. It was like an eyesore. They really didn't like it. And only in the 90s, it really became a world trade center. You had international accounting firms and law firms and all these other big corporates starting to fill the world trade center. And it really began to fulfill it, you know, its mission from mm-hmm. decades prior when there was really less of a need for computer-based internet, you know, all that stuff. And so 9-11 and the World Trade Center in itself is like a story within a story. Yeah. But long story short, I, not hope, because we talked about hope yesterday. It's not hope that I have for the future. It's confidence yes. that I have that we are going to come out of this. We're going to come out of this stronger with our Arab brothers and sisters. And the people right now that are having a hard time getting off the fence or that can't really uh, condemn this terrorist group that was, by the way, celebrating 9-11. Mm-hmm. And there's video footage of that. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. go on YouTube. Um, anyone that's not able to see that clearly, I really feel sorry for them because they're really deep in a totalitarian organization that has stolen them of the freedom to think for themselves. And that's really sad.
fuck yeah to everything you said. That was a, that was a high level, uh, um, I have a dream speech by you. Good job by you. I want to give two um, recommendations and then bring it back to those people uh, we're talking about uh, with their neutral responses and who they sympathize with because it is, I think, a topic that's on both our minds. Number one, Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese movie. For, for me, uh, is that, that early in New York, what, what you just described. I'm, I am fascinated by that time as well. Number two, I have been having, since the horrors of October 7th, a real tough time enjoying stuff. I try to listen to music. It's like, you know, like food has no taste kind of thing. And I, I usually love listening to podcasts. And I found that when I listen to a podcast and I see that the date of the episode is after October 7th. How the fuck are you guys talking about anything else? How are you talking about comedy or NBA or whatever the stuff that I, I usually listen to? I, get, I can't listen to podcasts anymore. What I am doing is I'm, I'm, I'm reading more than I have been reading for a while. And I got this book. My mother gave me this book, a Paul Oster book. Paul Oster is a, a writer that I used to love and then kind of got weird for me. But I really love this book. It's called 4321. It's one of his recent uh, book. It's this huge book and I'm relishing it. I'm, I'm taking my time. And it's a very, it's a New York book, obviously. I think like most things he, he writes. And I love it. I enjoy it so much. It's like the only escape I get where I read this book and I forget my anxieties. And then there's this character. He meets, he meets this uh, Jewish girl. The hero of his story meets Dana Rosenblum and her parents, you know, escaped from Europe, went to South Africa, escaped to London, escaped to New York. And she has one dream. She tells the, the guy in the, in the book, I just want to go live in Israel, a country that will never kick me out. Like she's that she wants to go live on a kibbutz. He's going to the college in the States. He wants to be a writer. She, all she wants to do is go live in a, in a kibbutz uh, near the Kineret uh, in Israel. And that hit me so hard, like a country that will never kick me out. And, you know, a lot of people around me, I don't know if you have these around you, our Zionism, the, the, the fact that we live here, for many of us, it's like, yeah, but... I'm also going to get this Romanian passport. I'm also going to try and get this Portuguese passport because you never know. Maybe I'll go live in India for a couple of years. Maybe it's like this whole thing of it. Where do we want to live? This place has a, a lower cost of life. That place. And I'm like, I have a real problem with that. I'm against that. I really feel right now, like this is the only country that will never kick me out. If we can't live, if I can't live here, I can't live anywhere. I have people right now who like ran away, I don't know, hold up in Cyprus right now. They're sitting in Cyprus in a hotel, scrolling through their phones in horror the whole day. And then they have a, a violent demonstration outside their own embassy. I think I, I talked about this in one of the updates. So you ran away from Israel. You're scared in a, in a foreign country and you're probably less safe there than you are here. So at least be with your family and loved ones and people. Uh, the combination of that sentiment and me and then that character in the book like really, really um, hit me hard. And that's where I am right now. Like, I, I don't know where, th where this is going to go. I mean, um, but th th that's what I'm feeling right now. We talked about this with my kids. Like, I have a teenager son. He said, 
Like Saturday, the day of, he said, where do I join up? I want to go fight. We're going to win. We're going to beat them. And, he, and we talked about this, like moving away, running away. He, in his 13-year-old mind, agreed with me. He said, if you run away from a bully, you're always going to run away. You're always going to run away. We run away now, we'll get to some other place. It'll be shit over there. Probably somebody's going to try and kill us over there. They, what do we run to another place? Are we, am I going to be a, a refugee for the, for the rest of my life because of some fucking assholes who don't, don't want me to, don't want to share this land with me? I know it's oversimplifying, but anyway, that's where I am with that. And the last thing, maybe we'll end on this. Uh, I think it's on both our minds listening to you is how emotional we get reading and seeing reactions of people abroad. Like LeBron James, uh, Dave Chappelle, like who is with us and who is, who is against us. And it's so emotional. I don't think people understand how you feel it in your gut when you see some random, I don't know, Z-list celebrity from some Disney show standing with Israel. I love this guy. Suddenly I love this guy. Meanwhile, when you see somebody like, I saw uh, Tilda Swinton, an actress that I, or actor that I really, really love, signed this letter that, that you have to be so stupid to sign this letter. Uh, you're, you're basically aligning yourself with, with rapists and, and murderers of babies, with, with Jeffrey Dahmer. If you sign this piece of paper saying you support Hamas, you're basically saying, I love Jeffrey Dahmer. That's, that's the level of horror we're talking about. How stupid do you have to be to say, yeah, this, I, I agree with Jeffrey Dahmer's cause. I think Jeffrey Dahmer's actions were uh, legitimate and justified. And I don't know if I can ever watch a Tilda Swinton movie again, you know? Or, uh, I mean, Dave Chappelle is going to be hard to give up. And maybe he's going to say something smart about it in, in, at some time. But... A lot of these, it just makes me so fucking angry. And you know, it's, 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 have you tried to, to like get into arguments with people and converse with them? I feel like it's totally hopeless. Yes, more in the past. And mm. then I realized I'm not going to be able to persuade them. Yeah. Because look, simple questions. The interesting questions in life are actually very complicated and they don't usually have answers. Okay. You know, like you can frame something so that it has a simple answer, like a 10 second clip, but real life doesn't really work that way, mm -hmm. you know? So if you're speaking to someone who refuses to accept complexity, there's no, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do hmm. to dissuade them. But we are very much in a battle of ideas. Mm -hmm. And the only way through is going to be on the level of ideas. And if I may go back to a point you made okay. a bit before about Israel and Paul Oster, I was really moved by what you said. A lot of people had this joke that the Trump years were my easiest years living here because nobody was asking me why I don't move back to America. You know, but other <laughs> than that, like, that, I don't even know. Like, I've been here 13 years. I think a rough estimate, I've been asked why I don't live in America or why I don't move back or why I came here at all. Why are you still here? Why, I, I How wish, are you still you here? You know what? I wish the Get question the is boat. what's kept you, but it's been more like... Blah, 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 which is kind of like a, you should go back or whatever. And um, 
Maybe 10,000 times. I'm not kidding. People have like I, heard I, I me speaking English on the street in Florentine and like stopped me and been like, hold up, girl. I heard some English. Do you live here? Because I don't understand. And I'm like, who the fuck are you, bro? Like, walk away. <laughs> um, a few years ago when 2021 was um, popping off, I happened to be in the States okay. and working for Haaretz English remotely. And um, it was the first time in my that any of us had remembered there being swastikas, you know, being paraded through South Florida. Really? Yeah. And I was getting some direct messages that were just completely fucked up. Like I'm an apartheid murderer, Nazi bitch. We talked about it in like one of the earlier episodes. And I found that here in Israel, I can be that weird girl that just wants to like collect rocks and go swimming and get better at my stroke. And also, you know, advocate for the kind of change that I believe in and get better at making kimchi. And, you know, like I can have a world of interest that doesn't end and begin with me justifying my mm. existence all the time. Yes. And to be a fully fledged person who's also proud of my Israeli heritage and proud of my Ju Judaism and proud of everyone who's helped bring me to where I am today. Yeah. I can't do that in the States. And to do that, I have to explain who I am all the time. And so it's not only I don't want to run anymore because I've run quite a bit in my life. I don't want to, I want to be able to live as big as I want, mm -hmm. as big as anybody else does, as big as Gwyneth Paltrow, who, you know, is, is you know, into family constellation work and sea buckthorn oil, which is, you know, great for preventing wrinkles, apparently. Huh? I want to be able to be that person uh -huh. that thinks about all of those things and not just have to, like, meet people and then be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And if my name wasn't Amy, you know, my siblings have Israeli names. Mm. People would ask in the States. And even friends that were are hiding in Athens right now, including one who had to be, he was in one of the shelters in one of the villages close to Gaza, harrowing for 10 hours straight. Thank God, he, you know, so many didn't make it out and he did. And he went to shelter with a friend in Athens uh -huh. and they went to a, a cafe mm -hmm. in the anarchist neighborhood and they were, they spoke a little bit of Hebrew and people were shouting at them. So you're not really safe. There's no, there's nowhere to run to, baby. There's nowhere to hide. Love it. Name of the episode, Nowhere to Hide. Nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. Credits. Thank you to Shema. Thank you to... Jonathan Gall, our illustrious co-host today. Um, Dork, Dork comment Comet. for the strangest recap and probably <laughs> worst recap to date. Wait for tomorrow. Oh God, oh my God. Um, thank you to Maya Schlesinger. I'm Amy Sapan. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned. <laughs>